Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Are you just gauging that just based on like uh, kind of feedback from your teams or are you actually tracking time and just trying to look at some sort of time tracking tool where you can actually see some of those metrics down on paper? Yeah, we track, we track the interaction types, but we don't today track the actual time um, like spent in each interaction. We have data modeling around that where we assume like an app, like based on historical context, we have some assumptions around each interaction and how much time is spent. Um, but they, our CSMs do not time track today. Um, it's something I've toyed around with at just a very high level of thought about, but I've thrown so much change and, and evolution at my team right now that it's definitely not something I um, want to put on their plate uh, in the near future. Yeah, I could see that. We, um, we just, at Higher Logic, we went through a quick exercise and we just did it for kind of a microcosm of like the first few weeks that we've been here just to see where it is today so we, we can actually determine where it goes in the future. But uh, we have not we have not dove into that either in terms of trying to find a tool or, or get down that path. I don't think yeah. we, we necessarily will either. And that's but basically if, how those assumptions were made with kind of the average time spent around each interaction type was, was a short little kind of mini project like that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for letting me call on you too. Yeah. Um, Emily Campos, looks like you had your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, I, I don't think like there's an ideal breakdown of where each team should spend its time like between all of our different companies. But what, what we do um, on my team is um, give the team kind of that permission to block off time and focus and not be distracted and not have to context switch all day long and really kind of own their own schedules instead of just being pulled in every direction. So really it's, it's not an ideal breakdown of, of where you spend your time, but it's owning your time and managing your day and kind of being the, the master of your own schedule. Um, and, you know, having that freedom of, you know what, um, you might get a slack from me. And if you're focusing on something, I will know that you're focusing on something and, you know, not get a response from you for a few more hours and that is okay. Um, the one thing I don't want people to do is, is to be in deep focus and be pulled away for something that's on fire because then you're never going to get your strategic work done. I love that. I was reading an article recently that basically said uh, Slack is the greatest thing that was ever invented and Slack was the worst thing that was ever never created. So uh, I'm on that, I'm on, I'm on that boat with you. Uh, but I love the permission idea. And I think that's what uh, Annie had just said in the, the chat window as well, right? Is the like making sure that your team understands uh, kind of the direction and, and how that they have this permission, right, to block off their time, that they need to be focused on the right areas. And uh, I think that also gives them the empowerment to say, hey, I'm going to trust that you know where to spend your time. And if you need to, you know, get away from things, whether it's internal meetings or like you said, not answering a question immediately, then um, have the power to do so. So um, I love that. Uh, Andreas, looks like you had your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Sure. Um, kind of building on some of the stuff that uh, Emily just mentioned, not um, putting kind of hard constraints um, into any of the buckets mm -hmm. that the CSMs uh, spend time on. But based on everyone's tendency, right, you you gravitate into a specific area. Some people who are problem solvers, they get stuck in kind of all the tactical fix, fix every bug, track every little issue. 
and um, are not rising enough to uh, to the top. So instead of managing, you shall spend no more than 25% in this bucket or so, actually tracking what are the activities that really drive our customers to renew and expand. So how much time and how many interactions are you having with the um, key uh, stakeholders and the decision makers? And um, that is a metric that is actually tracked by each CSM in this uh, part of their bonus co component so that they're not forgetting in the tactical to have some of that strategic. And I let them typically manage their own time so that they have the freedom, how it works with their personality and uh, move through that. Yeah, um, I think that's that's great. And one thing that Pam uh, Meisnick, I think it's, or Micnick, uh, hopefully Pam, apologize about the pronunciation, I'm not good at that, but uh, she said Mitch everyone Nick. needs to be there. Mitch Nick, there you go, thank you. Um, she had mentioned everyone needs to be their own CEO, right? Think strategically, how is what you're doing helping the company? And I think um, that's a big message that we've been trying to, to get across at Higher Logic is, um, where is where is the activities that you're doing? How is that mapping into the bigger picture? And I think that's what Andreas was going down to, right? Making sure that they understand if their time is going somewhere, how it's gonna be effective. Um, so. I'm going to call on Boaz and then Bertle and Alex. I know your hands are raised, but I'm going to move on to the next question. So it's not that I don't like you, but I'm going to try and keep this conversation moving. Um, so Boaz, what's it on you? And then we'll, we'll move on to the next question. Thanks, Jeff. I think from, from my experience, lots of, you know, battle scars from making wrong decisions in the past. I think biggest detraction on CSM time is working on support escalations. There is a, you know, we, we tend to hire people that care for their customer. And sometimes the outcome, unfortunately, is that they become support people. We don't want that, but we let it happen. We make them the point of contact for escalation. We, we task them to figure out what's wrong with the customer. And guess what? Six months, nine months, 12 months later, they are higher level support people. Instead of working on program expansion and how to drive additional usage and what drives value for the customer. And instead of holding support accountable for solving support problems by creating a tier two or a tier three or whatever other escalations, we make a, our CSMs a glorified tier two support people. I've done this in a couple of times in the past. I've been burned by this. It's one of those things that you don't really often recognize in real time. You recognize afterward. You recognize when you build your slides for the for the board or you do a, an assessment just like you, you uh, said, right? Split your time and see where you spend it. And you look and you're like horrified with, I am wasting the company's potential strategic asset in extremely tactical one. Protect your CSMs from becoming support, I think is the biggest way to create a real impact in customer success. Yeah, that's a great one. I like that. It should be on a t-shirt somewhere. Prevent your CSM from becoming support. That'd be a great t-shirt. Um, awesome. The other thing, and Alex, now I'm sad I didn't call on you because I, I liked your point that you had mentioned, which is a periodic study is probably very valuable. Um, so, you know, even having somebody from a different part of the organization help for awareness and perspective on that. Um, so I appreciate you drop that in the chat, uh, even though I didn't get to call on you right now. Um, next question we're going to hit on is, uh, what do you consider most when segmenting customers? So thinking about your segmentation strategy, there's also another question from below in the Slido that I'm going to lump into this, which is 
how often do you update your segmentation? Um, and if you do, how are you communicating with your customers about that? So um, thinking about segmentation strategy, what is your number one consideration? How are you uh, segmenting customers? What are the kind of the metrics that you're using to do that? And then how often are you updating it? And based off that update, you know, are you informing customers or not um, of, of that update? So uh, I'm going to try and get a few people here, raise a few hands, but uh, in the short term, uh, just for, from a customer or from a, a standpoint of what we're looking at at higher logic, we've got um, kind of market segment aligned with our ARR. So we're looking at uh, where that customer sits from a market segmentation perspective. Um, we might do that based off of potential their, their overall revenue or how many employees they might have or some, some factor that would determine where they are in the market. Then we're also looking at our ARR spend for them right now and trying to overlay those two things on top of each other for our segmentation. Um, and then from that, that standpoint, um, we're using that to dictate how many, how we segment our customers. Uh, we haven't updated it in, since we're just here. So I don't know about the update strategy yet. I'll have to get you uh, back on that when we get there. But um, Britt Hall, looks like you've got your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, so we do this by not just ARR, but we, what we consider kind of like value to the company. So we take current ARR and potential ARR and the opportunity for upsell and for growth within an, an individual organization. We combine those and then tier based on that. So not all of our most important customers are large customers today. We think that they could become more valuable for our company. So sometimes that's error. We occasionally also pull in other factors that are hard to quantify, but some of our customers just kind of get us, if that makes sense. And they're providing really valuable product feedback. They're going the same direction that we are. We'll occasionally pull those up into our tier one bucket as well, but they're sort of hand selected, uh, but they get the same sort of treatment that our tier one customers do because we believe that they can teach us something. And so they're more valuable than the dollars suggest. That's how we think about it. I love it. Um, I'm going to, I guarantee you somebody's going to ask this question, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it to you, Britt, uh, before you get down there. But how do you determine the potential future ARR that they could bring to the organization? You know, is that a, how often do you do that? Is that based with your sales team? Are you, you know, how are you determining essentially what you might be able to upsell and cross-sell to those businesses? Sure. It's a partnership between our customer success and our sales teams. Our customer success teams are not evaluated on opportunity cross-sell upsell expansion but there are evaluated on opportunity identification so being able to understand where the options are at an existing customer and then we partner with a commercial seller to understand the financial potential of that possibility so we tend to do that at our quarterly business reviews like our internal account reviews health reviews uh, so hopefully it gets done every quarter Awesome. That's hugely helpful. Thank you, Britt. Um, appreciate you uh, raising your hand. I also, there was one uh, thought in here as well um, from Jim Ashley, who mentioned ARR, customer tier geography when possible. Um, and I forgot what the other thing I was going to call. So we're going to move on. Uh, Leslie Kelly, it looks like you've got your hand raised. What are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, I'm actually going through this process now because we had originally did our segmentation based off of enterprise, mid-market, and ACV, a very simple sort of segmentation model. Um, and I'm actually sort of reassessing that and building out an analytic model based off of <clears throat> sort of high value, high growth. So I've got about 10 different metrics on how we evaluate a customer based on the value to our business. Um, as far as because as Britt was talking about, there are some customers that 
they are you know huge advocates they're big in the social media space they're talking about us all the time and they may only pay us you know, $40,000 a year. So because of that, though, they do have a different value to us as a customer. So I do want to account for that. But I also want to look at the growth opportunity as well, as far as whether we have opportunity for add-on module sales, but also geographic and global expansion. And I do, and I am looking at potentially either a different resourcing model based on that segmentation. Um, and, but also, providing really sort of prescriptive kind of playbooks for those different segments of customers so that the laggards who are sort of our low value, low growth, we kind of know what we do there, but it is actually really hard when you get into the space of, of high value, but low growth. What do you do with those customers? And are you actually treating them differently than your high value, high growth, and then your sort of low value, high growth, you know, and sort of what we do there. So that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it and starting to build out the model, but it's new for me for next year. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's where, you know, the interesting part, just like you mentioned, Leslie, I think, you know, your next step is then trying to overlay resources and kind of your strategy. And then what happens from probably a technology standpoint, all on top of those and trying to figure out what's the right mix. Um, And I love the point you called it out as well as Brit, which is um, also just identifying when customers, you know, I like Brit because she said, get you, you know, but also when they're vocal in the market, um, when you feel like they've got uh, something that they can present at your, you know, your user conferences when they can become part of that adv- advocacy program, like trying to identify that and um, making sure that you're building a track and a ladder for them um, on that side of the the coin as well. So I appreciate that. Um, awesome. Kristen Covert. I think it's Covert. Maybe it's Covey. It was before I came to the United States. <laughs> they asked uh, okay, cool. RT at the end. Um, All right. It's been touched on several times, but um, one of the things that we used in in past places where I've worked is um, tiering customers by common use cases that our application could actually solve, and then being able to align what we could deliver to our customers um, based on those actual use cases that we were solving for them. And then as they spent more on the application, we could solve increasingly more use cases for them. And yeah. that would provide a way for us to upsell and cross-sell our um, different services to them. Yeah, that's a, uh, a great one. And I love, I also think about that maybe from an internal perspective as well. If you're, if you're segmenting customers based on use case, then hopefully uh, you might be able to do more, you know, your CSMs might be able to collaborate more on some of those specific use cases and what they're seeing, how they're, you know, how they might be configuring the, the software, the tool to help in some of those scenarios. I also think that helps when you, you think about potentially opening up a community or, uh, discussions that you're trying to have maybe with one-to-many type strategies where, uh, you know, the customers feel more related to one another based on that product that they're using. Um, so I like that one. It's great. Thank yeah, you, yeah. Kristen. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if you have um, account managers on a small account and then you combine it with a strategic account manager who goes fishing in a larger organization that starts off small with a small account, strategic account managers can go bring in additional portions of a larger customer and grow that account if it's starting off a small. Um, it's a great way to bring in more use cases. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Um, perfect. We've got Effie and Ben, and then we'll uh, hit on the next question. So Effie, why don't you go ahead and come off mute? And what are some of your thoughts here about segmentation? So uh, my, in, in my current organization, we segment, like many have mentioned here before, based on ARR and growth potential, which is basically the percentage of license that I bought versus, uh, versus uh, exists. So that, that is pretty standard. But another thing that, that I added into it is uh, strategic customers, which is a little bit similar to what Britt said. Uh, her strategic customers are customers who are, are 
sort of design partners and that could help them grow. But we also have strategic customers based on the verticals that we're trying to uh, to target in our company, uh, especially now during COVID, we sort of s shifted over. So if we have certain customers that we've been able to acquire in a in an industry that we don't have a lot of representation in, we're going to really go ahead and nurture and put that into a really higher tier. Or if there's a customer that uh, is under the umbrella of another sort of customer that we're we're going after, uh, part of a larger uh, corporation that would also bump that customer up as well. So strategy for us pays uh, plays a, a very uh, big part of it as well. Awesome. Thank you, Effie. Do you, uh, actually one more follow-up question for you. Um, do you communicate, I think Rod had put this into the chat as well, but do you communicate to your customers um, what segment they're in or what level of like customer success they're going to get? Um, is that part of any sort no. of communication strategy you do? Okay. No, cool. but they do get a, a service package. So their customer support and customer engineer package is communicated, meaning the SLAs, the phone support that they get, and so on and so forth. But whatever customer success uh, services that they get, let's say number QBR, it, it varies. They just know when they're when they yep. start with us. Okay. Awesome. Uh, perfect. Thank you, Effie. Ben, let's hit on you and then we'll move on to the next question here. Sure. So one way we, we do it is, I mean, a lot of our, most of our clients are high touch. And so um, you know, we'll, we'll spend more time on customers that are spending more, but everyone in theory gets the same level. Uh, and so what we do is we have segmentation based on the maturity level of the organization. So we're in marketing tech, SEO. And if we have like a newbie where you have one person, doesn't have a team yet, like, you know, how we manage that account would be different than if we have, we call people a little pioneer where it's, it's the first maybe director level of a marketing SEO specialist who's coming in. They have to build the team. They have all the experience, but no you know, major support to the org. Uh, and then you get into like a visionary where now all of a sudden they have multiple teams, multiple people. And we do this by just having a list of questions by how many people are in the organization, what departments are in play, um, how many years of experience does our primary point of contact have within this role or you know, similar roles. And so the, the segmentation is based on that, like stuff that we try to like, be very black and white on just user experience, the department experience and where they are. And it just drives all of our, what the, we at that point know, what are their goals going to be, what are their challenges going to be overcome, who needs to be involved. Uh, and, so, and we do that pretty much all the time. As soon as, as soon as there is a change, we'll change it back or up whatever direction needs to go. And we try to push them through the maturity model. So we do uh, communicate it. We won't call them a newbie to their face, but we'll, you know, on a PowerPoint, show them where we think they are and the challenges they're going to face and where we want them to get next. And so we do, we do show them that segmentation in just a, a customer facing way. Awesome. Appreciate that, Ben. I like the maturity model perspective too, trying to make sure that they're uh, kind of growing alongside the platform and then you can incorporate, you know, best practices and use cases and things that you see in other companies into that uh, as you go. So um, I think that's awesome. Alex, you raised your hand and I didn't call on you earlier. So I'm going to call on you now. Um, so I don't have the answer to this, but no one, um, I really love what I've been hearing and I've been typing some notes in the chat. Um, and to, to the point just made, I, I'd like to be able to gain more visibility to how many new accounts are within that first year of adoption or whatever's right for your product or, you know, market segment, et cetera, as to when that, that client's getting their feet um, really grounded in, in understanding what they need to do to get their return on investment. But complexity, no one here mentioned um, complexity models. So how do you determine 
who's going to need to push and pull on you more as a client? And I don't have the answer to that. We, we wrangled with that and that just got put on hold based on our best gut feel and what we thought history told us. But I would love to in the future, maybe have a chat around how do you look at your client um, complexity model? And is it just about industry? Is it just about tenure? Is it just about the segment and what they pay or what they could pay? But how do you really determine who are those low versus high touch? Because I think sometimes low touch clients get called that because they don't want to meet with us. So that's really means they're high risk clients. Yeah. Um, I love that point. And I love that you, you know, brought it up that you'd love to get some more responses around that. Cause this is a great time to plug for me. If you go to gangrotain.com, we could throw that question out there to the group and uh, get some discussion. Uh, so I'll go try and add that after this, but um, hopefully we'll try and work that into the conversation as well. I think it's a great point about complexity. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left today, uh, probably even like six or so, but we'll, one of the uh, questions I scrolled down the slide a little bit just to maybe get something a little unique. So, um, does anyone participate in a deal review process allowing approval of a good fit customer? Um, so curious to see from this group, you know, obviously that's a closed question. You can say yes or no, but uh, if we open that up, what does that deal review process look like? Um, how, you know, what is that meeting flow? How are you involved in that? How often does it meet? Um, I know we've started instituting some of these at higher logic, uh, especially on the enterprise side where we're getting multiple teams involved uh, before a deal comes over the line, trying to gain some alignment. Um, perfect. Matt Muskowski, what are some of your thoughts here? Well, I, I posed the question after a discussion within my breakout group. So um, I, I've obviously got an opinion on it. Um, <laughs> so um, back in my time at Autodesk, we, we implemented a deal review process uh, and the focus was, was multifaceted. So from a customer success perspective, it was making sure that not that we had a veto, because I think this is really critical, because I don't think we want to prevent sales, but we want to voice the fact that we see a risk with the delivery and execution of that deal if we proceed with it. So it's making that voice and opinion heard. Now, we'll still do our best to, to make that customer successful. We'll still do our best to make sure we retain that customer. But we just want a voice to say, look, we're not being set up for success from day one here. Um, so we were one voice of maybe four or five. So our, our customer support manager was in charge. So are there customer service issues that we think we're going to struggle with? Uh, our finance team, is it a financially viable deal that we want to proceed with? Is it a, um, a product management um, validation? Do we deliver a product that we're actually going to deliver? It, has the salesperson promised something in a roadmap of a product that we're not actually going to deliver? So I think there's multiple stakeholders that want to get involved in that. But for me, the key thing is you don't want to veto the deal. You really don't, because I think going up against sales and, and preventing sales is very dangerous. But you're voicing your opinion about the ability to be successful in executing on it. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And uh, I think that also, I think nomenclature and verbiage matters when you're in those types of meetings, right? The posturing that can happen uh, based on different departments, different teams. So, because uh, then you might be called, you know, in the organization, then you might be looking at, you know, you're not trying to help sales. You're, you know, you're uh, kind of putting up roadblocks uh, that might be unnecessary. So I appreciate that, Matt. Uh, we're going to get to David and Bertle. And then I think that's probably all we'll have time for, but David, go ahead. Yeah, so we did a deal review once a week and companies made it to deal, prospects made it to deal review when the first, just prior to the first proposal being offered, because as, as David Jackson said, you don't want it to happen too late in the process and then it's kind of embarrassing at the same time. And we used to have sales, marketing, finance, customer success and operations. We'd have a representative from each of those so that everybody got a voice. 
because if you sell to the wrong customer, every single one of those groups has to live with the consequences and it pulls resources away from your target customers. Uh, and we found it very valuable. Um, and just to clear, so you do that once a week and then was it, um, when it, was there a specific uh, percentage when the deal, you know, when, when it was a 20% to close, 40%, 60%, was there some sort of metric that essentially allowed a deal to come into that meeting or how did that work? Yeah, it wasn't really based on the metric or the funnel or where it was in the funnel. It was based on the timing of the first proposal that had to go out. We Got didn't it. want to propose to something unless everybody was bought in on that was the right type of company to propose to. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, Bertel, what are some of your thoughts here? You're on mute, Brittle. I bet that was a great thought, though. There. No, you there we me? go. Yep. Perfect. Welcome back. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it's um, I, I'm. I want to share that at Gartner, we have a business development team that's just bringing new prospects. And early on, I started to be involved with the BD team just to align the features of our product with what are being promised and delivered. And often on, I will be working closely with the BD team every other week on specific topic. The reason why customer success needs to be, must be involved early stage to me is not about selling the wrong product, but it's selling the wrong feature and having the wrong expectation. Then you damage the whole relationship by being promised something that you will never deliver. I'll give you an example. Um, intelligent supply chain, we have a, uh, a product, we have a few features around that. And my, the last conversation I had with the BD team was to pivot the talk track around circular, the circular economy for supply chain that was featured in one of our products. And it's about, uh, it's about providing the right product aligned with the, the client expectation and not selling the whole license, the whole product, but specific features to be aligned with what we can deliver as a vendor and what the client is expected, um, what the client is expecting as an outcome from the product he or she will purchase. Awesome, I appreciate that, Bertel, and I love the the point that you said that you know got to make sure and set expectations because if we can't deliver on it, then uh, clearly we're going to be dropping the ball somewhere um, along that line. Um, well, I know well, we're cu catching up on time here, and so uh, we've got about two minutes left. Um, a couple of things just wanted to, to call out again. We've got uh, CS Leadership Office Hours every Thursday. If you have CSM, uh, CSMs who want to attend, we have a CSM Office Hours every Tuesday at 1130. That is starting to grow and getting some traction. So really exciting about that. Um, also, just to note, we do have uh, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Survey that's going. So if you can share that with other members, make sure uh, that those folks can fill that out. Uh, we're trying to, to get as many participants as possible. Um, make sure that we can uh, just get as many voices into that survey. Uh, give us, give ourselves a benchmark that we can work from. Um, thank you to those who filled it out today. I really appreciate that. Um, we do have our events section on Ganger Rotain. If you need anything there, let me know. Uh, Andreas, I'll get that. I'll get your uh, cybersecurity one up today. Sorry about that. But uh, anything else, just uh, shoot me a note. Let me know. Uh, tomorrow, we're also getting together for the jobs. Uh, if you want to help us think about how we can facilitate uh, hiring managers and job seekers. Let me know. Shoot me an email. Uh, if you don't know it, I don't know what to tell you. Just find me. Um, 
the next one will be uh, next Wednesday as well. We've got our office hours committee. Uh, I just dropped a note in as well. You know, give me feedback on these. Uh, we're always looking for it. I tend to send surveys, but I'm a little uh, strapped at the moment, so I'm not going to send a survey. But if you have feedback, shoot me an email. We're always trying to make these better, uh, more effective for you all. This is all you know about how to make this a peer-to-peer connection. So uh, looking forward to that. Thank you all for spending time with us. We can't wait to see you next Tuesday or next Thursday. And uh, hope you guys have a great, great weekend. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.